Hey, I'm Irvin Welsh, and these are the books of my life. When Irvin Welsh's debut novel, Trainspotting, was published in 1993, I think I was about five years old, and I guess it isn't really the sort of book you should be reading at that age. So my first encounter with the novel came many years later, after I had seen Danny Boyle's classic Academy Award-nominated adaptation starring Ewan McGregor. I remember so clearly being shocked that this is what a novel, and a really well-regarded one at that, could be like. It just didn't fit any of the rules about literature I'd been taught at school. Welch's prose was jagged, the dialogue loose, and the language filthy. And yet, behind the violence, the drug abuse, and the petty criminality, Trainspotting remains a deeply humane book, full of hope, sadness, and despair. I've read many of Welch's subsequent novels, and he has never lost that thing all writers desperately seek, a distinctive voice. So it was, of course, a real joy to catch up with Irvin at the Jaipur Literature Festival, where we discussed Trainspotting, his childhood in Leith, and why he'd take the Bible with him to a desert island. Do forgive some of the background noise, I'm sorry about that. They don't really do quiet spaces in Jaipur. And don't forget to subscribe to the Books of My Life podcast. We'd be chuffed if you joined us every week. We've got some brilliant guests coming up. And don't forget to send us your own choices as well, whatever they are, to booksofmylife at thenational.ae. I asked Irvin Welsh whether he had known that Trainspotting was bound to be a great success from the start. Oh yes, of course I did. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I just I, I was like um, I was just you know happy to get it finished, you know, and I thought that because um, I messed around doing lots of different things creatively, none of them none of them had been successful, and I kind of um, and this kind of grew out of ballads really that I was kind of songs and. Uh, and I thought, well, just write it as a book and do this. Uh, and to get it finished was the biggest buzz, you know, that, to know that I can actually push through and write something novel then. And then it was, you know, to get it published was the next big buzz. And then it was like, um, to, you know, to see it in the shop, sense to have it kind of um, selling and then to, you know, it just, it just went on and on. So, um, but nothing kind of beats the, um, the feeling of finishing it and then getting the, the letter from the publisher saying we're going to publish it. Is it genuinely the first piece of fiction that you'd written? Yes. That's crazy. Yeah, it's the first fiction or piece of fiction I'd written. I sent it to the, the first publisher, uh, who was the biggest publisher, who took it on. And, and you know, so it's like, it's had a really, you know, it's, it's funny because um, I was such a serial failure at everything else. To, mm. to be a kind of success, a, a massive success at something like that, yeah. at your first shot was kind of quite, you know, it's like kind of, this is strange, you know? But did you believe that you kind of had the ability to write a great novel? I mean, you know, it must have been, must have been I strange. Every, I think everybody does deep down. I think everybody, you know, everybody feels that they have the ability to do something brilliant. I think that's yeah. one of the things that sustains you through life, basically. Yeah. Um, and uh, I thought that I would do something great through music. Uh, and I didn't think, you know, or something that you know, got recognition through music, I didn't think it would happen through literature. Yeah. Were you in a, uh, a terrible rock band as a, as a youngster? Yeah, I mean, it kind of, uh, it's funny. I mean, I've been doing music. Uh, the, the weird thing about music is that um, it's all about collaborators, really. You know, it's who you kind of hook up with and collaborate with. I mean, I've just finished an album because I've been collaborating. And the reason it's, you know, 
it's worked out more satisfying than any other music project I've done. But uh, the reason is because I've got a great collaborator, the guy, you know, the, the person I'm working with, and we just hit off and we're on the same page from the start, and that changes everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure, for sure. So can we expect a sort of an Irvin Welsh Shadow album at some point? Well, we, we're going to get one in uh, April. No way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this idea that all writers are really big readers. Well, like, were you always a big reader? Yeah, I was. I was. Um, and um, it, you know, it's funny. It was a kind of uh, it was a guilty pleasure because we used to go down to the, the local library, and because it was only the only common space you could go when you were a kid, uh, and it was always cold. You know, these kind of winter nights and all that. So yeah. we'd go down there, and we'd invariably we'd get chucked out basically for acting up and you know, causing a kind of not causing nonsense and. Yeah. Um, and I always used to sneak back in with a guilty face and look at the librarians and big eyes and all that thing. Can I sit here? Actually, I do want to read books, but you can never do it in front of your mates, basically. Like, you have to wait until they kind of went away and then you can sneak back out and go back down to the library. So it's kind of a, it was a kind of embarrassing thing to be into, into books, was it? Yeah, it was an embarrassing thing to, to read, basically, you know, to, to, to read for kind of um, pleasure because you're kind of brought up, um, you're basically brought up in kind of. Um, in working class Scotland to kind of follow instructions, like you know, you kind of you, you read stuff that is going to help you vocationally or whatever, but you don't really read for enjoyment once you get past a sort of certain age as a kid. So, um, but you obviously were. I mean, what, what were you reading at that the time? The first books I remember reading that kind of you know, the first books that didn't have pictures in them that I remember reading were the Willard Price books, like kind of Lion Adventure and kind of Tiger Adventure, yeah, everything with adventure on the end of it. Roger Howe, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 hilarious. yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and then did you move on to, I mean, not to, not to do well our price down, but did you move on to sort of more substantial stuff quite quickly? Um, well, uh, I, don't know if I, I don't know quite quickly, like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I got there, I kind of clawed my way into, um, I clawed my way into the, you know, the, the usual stuff. I think it was probably the first kind of growing up novel I read was probably Steinbeck's Grapes of Wrath. Okay. Basically, you know. Um, and, um, it's funny, when you kind of move on to your first growing up novel, you can actually feel your brain cells growing, kind of expanding and twisting into this new kind of, um, you know, to absorb this new sort of paradigm, this new information, and uh, the way it's all kind of put together. Um, and then I was off after that, you know, I just read everything that I could, you know, like, um, you know, the, the, the first kind of, um, the first great novelist that I really, really liked was Evelyn Waugh. Okay, um, who's yeah. a kind of a completely different social milieu for me, but um, I like to kind of um, I like the relationships that you, ha you know the, the, the men the men the, the male relationships kind of um, with each other. I think kind of like um, and that secret kind of Schadenfreude between men that's never kind of sort of you know it's always there that competitiveness. Um, it was done in a very humorous kind of way, and I, you know it was always one of my. I remember telling Oberon Moore, I was on a flight with him, uh, I was, and uh, a long flight to Australia. I remember telling him how much his father influenced me. I don't think he was that happy about it. Like, <laughs> I think it was a double-edged sword for him. In fact, he died shortly after that, like, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so he didn't jump out the, the window of the plane. 
But, um, but I'm interested because I, I mean, obviously, as you say, like the Evening War novels tend to tend to be a portrait of a certain certain class and society. But was that, was that something that, that that you felt within your society as well, or was it specific to the society that War was writing about? No, I felt that you know he, he really captured the psychology of men, kind of completely. You know, uh, and it's like kind of, and there he was talking about basically guys that were in the army and officers' mess. But you could try, you could extrapolate that to the factory. You know, when I was an apprentice, we were kind of, you know, there was the same kind of vibe going on. A bit earthier and a bit yeah. more kind of sort of raw and all that, and a bit more expressed kind of. But uh, it was basically the same kind of things that were happening, and um, so that was like very. It was very liberating to me, but it was also very kind of um, prohibitive as well because you know I think well this is how people write novels. You know they kind of uh, they come from big country estates where they've got libraries stuffed with books and all that. You know. I'm in a council flat. There's no room for books anyway. You know, they just they get passed around, but you, you can't you can't kind of keep them and curate them and sort of. Uh, so, um, so it was like you know, I thought you know, people from my background don't really kind of um, write books basically. And uh, then I got into American fiction and um, like Hubert Selby's okay, Last yeah. Exit to Brooklyn, yeah. and that became like um, I thought, wow, this is great. This is like kind of sort of you know. This is like working class fiction. This is really kind of edgy stuff. I can identify with it. Um, I got into a red iceberg slim's pimp, and I thought, you know, this, this, you know, I can identify with all this stuff. And uh, I got right into. I got into the, the reading all the Black Panthers literature through that. Amazing, kind yeah. of yeah, Angela Davis and Huey P. Newton, Eldridge Cleaver. I got obsessed with um, all that stuff. Um, but I think this is happening in America. America is not a class based society in the same way that Britain is. It won't For happen sure. in Britain. Um, then along came James Kelman, basically, yeah, and um, the, the bus conductor Hines. Yeah. And I think this is absolutely amazing that you, you've got a character who's this bus conductor, who's a, you know technology yeah. is kind of you know taking him out of a job, basically. And in a way that that novel kind of predicts, you know, in a sense, it's you know the the whole current existential Western crisis that we have in Britain with technology and kind of, you know, replacing our jobs and all that. And what he was feeling as an individual, his displacement, is kind of foreshadowed a lot of the literature from, like, train spotting right onwards and right into the, the kind of current sort of um, anime that middle-class people are feeling now that, you know, they're, 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 you know, they're suffering from that same kind of... Um, Thing that a lot of them mocked the industrial working classes for in Thatcher, you know, mm. the, the, the dinosaurs who can't adjust are cracking up, you know, and um, now we've, you know, we're realizing that technology has created this incredibly kind of imperfect zoo for us, and sure. we're wandering around it trying to sort of find a, a place. You wrote train spotting. Was it a conscious effort to, to try and give those people a voice, or did it not really work like that? It didn't really uh, work like that for me. I mean, I tried to, you know, I wanted to kind of basically make sense of my own experience as a heroin addict, uh, which had been. It was funny because um, I was writing about guys that were like uh, 24, and I was doing, I started this book when I was 28, mm. and that's not a great deal of time, but it felt like. Mm, I felt like centuries of difference, because like, it was like, you know, I was a, in a white-collar managerial job, settled down, big uh, house, married and all that. It was kind of, you know, I was miles away from that life that I'd been leading previously. Mm. Um, and then it's like when I wrote Skag Boys, which was a prequel based on old notes from that, I was 50 and I was writing about guys 23, yeah. and that seemed like no difference at all. It really? just seemed like no time. You know, it was bizarre. It yeah, felt much closer to to the, the characters and the material then. So, I mean, time does play these kind of weird tricks on you, but um, 
And, and were you, um, if you don't mind me asking, were, were, you, were you reading much when you were when you were taking drugs, and and, and did that affect the way that you? Yeah, I mean, it did. Drugs? I think, it, yeah, I mean, it did. I mean, I think that one of the things that I could do was like one of the great things is like kind of um, if you're when you're when you're on heroin, you're trying to score heroin, you're sick a lot of the time. You know, you're just you know, and, and one of the group, one of the things that helped me when I was feeling really rough and terrible was reading because it helps. It takes you out of your, your the place that you're in. It takes you into a different world. And it kind of makes you forget the kind of um, it, it can make you forget the pain. It can make you forget the conditions that you that you're living in. Can you remember what you were reading at the time? Yeah, I mean that would be when I was starting to get into like um, it'd be like I was starting to get into you know bizarrely enough the, a lot of the beat stuff like kind of Burroughs and Kerouac, Ginsberg okay. and uh, uh, Brotigan, um, mm. uh, Bukowski, all that kind of sort of American stuff again, you know. Um, but also was very much in, I was I was reading a lot of English classic stuff. You know, I was reading George Eliot and Jane Austen, and uh, I was getting going going drawing back to that sort of kind of Victorian society as well. You know. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that must be quite that must be quite strange reading these, these Victorian novels uh, in, the, in the in the situation that you're in. I mean, the, the kind of the dichotomy between the two two worlds is is so vast. Yeah, but it's also again it's an escape. You know, it's in, you know, and, and it, also that time I was getting into kind of you know like kind of. Gabriel Garcia Marquez and all that, you know, kind of hundred years of solitude, sort of, uh, and a lot of, uh, and a lot of Russian stuff as well, you know, it's kind of um, Turgenev and sort of, kind of all the the French stuff like Genet and all that, you know, just kind of uh, getting away from where I was basically, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and and just sort of moving things on to uh, to like the the, the modern day, um, what's on your bedside table at the moment, Evan Welsh? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of just moving between, you know, I'm moving between books and screenplays and, um, you know, kind of stage stuff and music and just kind of um, basically just having a bit of fun, you know. It's like you get to that point where you think, um, you know, you want, you, you, you just wait to get ambushed by the next idea, you know. They, they come to you, you know, and, uh, and they're coming quite thick and fast now and I've got to try and the big challenge is to just sit down with one and go with that. Yeah, that's interesting. So I, I was talking to an author a, a, a while ago, and he was saying how he doesn't actually like to read contemporary fiction when he's writing because he feels like the pressure of the of the competition. Does that resonate at all? I think what I fear most is that you kind of, because I, I tend to let the subconscious do the heavy lifting. The reason I don't read a lot of modern fiction when I'm writing is that uh, you just you, 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 I'm worried that I'll steal an idea of someone and not realise that I've done it, you know, which is kind of, which, which is what we do. I mean, all writers are thieves, we're kind of thieving the, the culture that we're in. And um, I always find it a lot more, um, I find it, you know, a lot more fertile field to, to read non-fiction when I'm writing fiction, you know, and to read, kind of, to read history and to read kind of, um, sort of economics and politics, philosophy, and, to, you know, to, to, to draw kind of ideas and inspiration from all that kind of stuff. Yeah, which kind of leads on to my, my next question, which was uh, if there was a book that you, uh, that you could have written, uh, which one would it be? You know, there must be something in the, in, in the canon which you're sort of intensely jealous of. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like, I think it would probably be The Da Vinci Code because it would, it would stop, <laughs> I, wouldn't have to, I wouldn't have to worry about re- writing anything else, you know, you just like, <laughs> or the Harry Potter novels or something like that. I just kind of don't have to worry about kind of doing anything like that. Have you read The Da Vinci Code? no. <laughs> I've never read it for God's sake. Have no. you read Harry Potter? No, no, I've seen the I've seen seen the movies though. Okay, fair enough. Hey, just to say sorry, if you can hear a lot of background noise, we're at the uh, Jaipur Literature Festival and there's people coming and going all the time. So I I, I apologise for that. Um, 
A question I always like to ask people um, is, do books move you to tears? And if so, what's the last book that made you cry? Uh, I think it was um, The Time Traveller's Wife was the okay. last book that made me cry because I was kind of... I was having a distant, a long-distance love by that time, so we were kind of we were jumping on planes to see each other across the Atlantic and all that, and it was like kind of, you know... And um, it was kind of resonating with me. I think that's... A, I think now, you know, that's why it worked, I think, as a novel, because it's like so many people have long... You know, we're a global society, and so many people have long-distance attachments and affairs and all that, and it's very stressful and painful. So there's that kind of... I think that was a sort of um, quite a... It's, you know, it's a very soppy book in a lot of ways, and it's intended to be... But um, I kind of, you know, I felt very moved by it, you know. And, um, I mean, I have this problem all the time. I sort of got a stack of books which I've started and never finished. Uh, What's the last book that you uh, tried to get through and couldn't couldn't quite make it? I always finish every book I've read. Yeah, I mean, I think it's... um, it's an important thing to do if you're a writer. I mean, I think that... See, I think you I always think that you learn more by bad books than you do by good books. If it's a good book, you just sit back and you admire the virtuoso performance. If it's a bad book, you're always saying, oh, I would have done that differently, or I would have done this differently, or what would I have done there, I would have changed that, I would have, you know... And uh, I think you learn more, you sharpen up more as a writer by reading kind of... Not so much bad books, because, you know, it's like... But books are a bit flawed, and you can see the flaws quite obviously in them. So you, have you managed to get through the, the sort of the Ulysses and the Finnegan's wakes of this world? You know, Ulysses is one of my favourite books, and I read it. You know, the first time I read it, I didn't understand a word of it, and I was in my twenties, and it was just like uh, second time I read it in my thirties, I stopped trying to understand it as a narrative, and as you know, and, and started to just see it as just trip on the language and just kind of sort of um, see it as just this mad sort of uh, escapade around Dublin and kind of this travelogue almost of Dublin, and see the city as a kind of living character in it. And the more I got to know the town. Um, the more the the book came came to life and the more the book kind of sort of interfaced with the town so it was uh, so I've read it every decade basically of my life and I've got something more from it every time so it's one of my favourite novels uh, Do you find that a lot when you reread books that you know later in life they, they have a totally different meaning to you than they did at the time when you first read them? Yeah, you get, I mean, everything, you're coming up with, with a totally different set of experiences and a whole different kind of... You don't really actually realise how much you've changed yourself, you know, and you come to it with a completely different view. Um, you know, so that's why, you know, if you get something out of a book, you should reread it because you'll see it completely differently. And it's, 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 that, it's, it's one of the most enlightening things I think you can do is to go back to an old favourite book and reread it. Can you, uh, can you give us a couple of examples of the ones that you've reread? You know, in the last sort of decade or so, I mean, Ulysses is obviously is obviously already already on our list. But 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 what else? I went back to Burroughs uh, again, and I kind of really. And I mean, one of the things that I realised that all his, his early books, like Naked Lunch, you know, the, the ones that get all the, the acclaim, they're nowhere near as good as his, as his later books. It's like the the Western Lands and the Cities of Red Night. Um, are just much, much superior books, much more kind of, uh, much more interesting, much more um, better ideas, better characters, more vivid and evocative, um, and they're just, you know, they're just better written in every way. And uh, you know, it's like it's interesting because, um, you know, again, a book that becomes hits a critical or commercial base isn't always the best um, offering that the author has, like you know. Do you, I mean, I mean, like, uh, you know, do, do you feel that about your own? I mean, your own your own books. I mean, are, are, are there books that you feel haven't done as well commercially as as you think they deserve to do? I mean, clearly, you know, it's 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 the it's trade spotting, it's gag boys, porno, uh, dead man's trousers. That you know, clearly, people love those characters so much that they resonate. And, and, and do you sometimes feel like other books within your within your sort of catalogue, I suppose, um, have been slightly overlooked? 
I feel that all of them have been overlooked, like <laughs> every single one of them. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think you know, it's, it's just you know, you, you you get greedy. You always you know, you want the the, the biggest reach possible, but um, you realise that it can't be like that, you know. And it's like you know, it's it's almost like you have a relationship with them all, and you like them all, you know. And you know, some one might kind of become a nuclear scientist, one might become a fascist dictator, one might become a kind of a nutter that just bangs their head against the wall and all that, but you kind of love them all basically. But again, it's like you know, the, how, you know how good they are in the critical and commercial reception they get, don't always sync up you know, so you, you kind of um, I think, you know, I mean Trainspotting's a benchmark in terms of, you know, in terms of that success and um, but uh, it's not the benchmark for me in terms of the quality of book that I've written. I feel that I've written kind of, you know, uh better, more interesting books. So that, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm going to ask, don't you? You're going to have to give me some names there. Well, I think Marabou's Thought Nightmares and Glue, mm-hmm. uh, in their own way, are stronger books than Train Spotting. I think probably Skag Boys is a much better book than Train Spotting. I think in its own way, Dead Men's Trousers is as well. Something I find hilarious that I've heard you say before, and uh, you know, you, you often, I think, find it amusing when journalists ask you about, you know, the writing process and all the rest of it, and, and you often just say, just stop thinking about it, you know, there, there is no process, I just get one and write. Is, is that really true? Yeah, I mean, I think it is. I mean, it's like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a doing thing, you know, just knock out the pages, sit down and bang them out, basically, and then see what you've got. I mean, I tend to, I tend to be quite musically orientated when I write, so I have my standing desk at the same level as uh, my Pioneer decks and all that, so I'm kind of and I've got my, my keyboard and all that, so I'm mixing up some, making some music, mixing some music, putting the drum beats down, then I'm going back and banging out the, the stuff on the keys, and I'm going back into the music, then I'm going back. And when I get to 20,000 words, um, print it out, take it around the coffee shop, and think, what is this mess? You know, you think, How do I, what do I find in this jumble that I can make? And is there a character emerging? Is there a story emerging? Is there a narrative kind of thing, thread going through this that I can actually make? And, you know, so then it's just sculpting just kind of trying to put this thing into some kind of order and then it's like after that it's like lower the wind the desk back down to this level and it's like shh shh you know <laughs> I've been making a you know that's the reason that kind of um the wives and girlfriends kind of tend to come and go because you know you're kind of you're jumping around screaming making a noise and then the next minute you're kind of saying shh shh yeah, it's complete course. silence, like you know. So you're kind of like, yeah. and then you you stagger out psychotically after having spent a room with all these, you know, your life in a room with all these people that don't exist. You know, <laughs> you come down and say, "Well, we've got friends coming around for dinner. And these are not my friends. I want to see my real friends up the stairs." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can't wait to, to, to hang out with Begbie again. <laughs> um, before you get whisked off back into the festival, I'm going to try and get. Uh, a couple more, couple more questions in. Well, I mean, I guess leading on from what you just said, are you quite cynical of the literary scene? It seems like you kind of stand and quite like to stand apart from it. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's, I don't, you know, I think a lot of writers do, you know, in a way, because I think that um, we all spend so much time on our own, you know, and if you're writing, you're not really kind of, you're not really hanging there. You know, th- this is where, this is really the literary scene festivals. And it's nice to meet, you know, you, you meet up with old friends and you kind of know that, you know, you, we spend most of our time in a room to get, you know, on our own, so let's, let's go and have a you know, party or something like that. So you get that commonality, but I think there's like... Um, the, the you know the literary scene that is, as we perceive it, it isn't really about writers. It's about critics. And it's about that kind of you know people, 
people kind of spawning around London and sort of, you know, but yeah, I don't even know if that actually happens. It's just a figment of my imagination. But, uh, yeah. yeah, mine too, unfortunately. That's <laughs> <laughs> where I like to see myself. It hasn't quite, it hasn't, it hasn't quite happened yet. yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, hey, look, the last question, we ask everyone this. Um, you're going to go away for a year and you're allowed to take three books with you. What are they going to be? And... Uh, of course, you can take one of your own if you'd like to. Yeah, I'll definitely do that. I'll take kind of, I'll, I'll take um, three of my books. Yeah, I mean, it'd probably be it'd probably be Marbus Thought Nightmares, Blue and Sky Boys. But if I was taking something else's books, um, it would be well, it'd be Ulysses because I, you know, I know I'm going to get something out of it different the next time I've read it. But it'll be comforting enough to be familiar as well. Um, and I would probably um, I'd probably take the Bible because I've never read it. You know, and I think it's going to be. So one that confirmed, like, you know. Um, I don't know about the third one. I think the third one would just be... I think we're going to have to edit that bit out. But, that, <laughs> but that's all good. Um, hey, look, Irvin Welsh, thank you very much. That was the books of your life. Uh, I do hope that those recommendations will encourage you guys to do that old-fashioned thing and put your phone down and pick up a book for a few minutes every day. Irvin Welsh, thank you so much. Thank you, Rupert. So we definitely can't use that. <laughs> yeah.